0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, well, welcome back. We're in a mini-series between big series right now, and This mini-series is on social justice. Now, last week, really I was trying to set the stage for this week, because as it ends up, I am a huge lover of social justice, and uh, these days I also feel like I'm a huge critiquer of social justice. Something feels a little off to me. So last week, I told you about my journey into social justice, I told you about I guess kind of my qualifications, the things that I do so I don't just sound like someone who's talking about something that they're not a part of. Uh, I try to stay active and to make sure that faith has works with it uh, and try to get involved in community efforts around here. So um, with all that being said, now that I hope I've shown that I care about this and that uh, hopefully I can speak into it today, I'm going to go ahead and do that. We're going to talk about uh, spiritual social justice tonight so let's start with a little story back in 2017 i headed to detroit for a ccda conference which is uh the christian community development association um it was a great event uh it was very uh it was christian based so i get there and you know you see a lot of things that you would expect in church there's some great gospel worship there's diversity represented in all the capacities throughout the event because again it's It's aimed at social justice. Uh, There's speakers who have been invited to speak because they're changing their communities, not because they're talking about changing their communities. Uh, There's field trips to neighborhood churches, check out what they're doing, seeing how uh, they're getting involved and how you might be able to use some of their ideas. There's breakout sessions on all kinds of social justice, social activism, redemptive themes everywhere. Uh, there's discussion groups. So you can join a group with a bunch of other people who are in a similar field as you and try to kind of learn from each other about what each other is doing. All this being said, there's just all these different ways to work together as a church to join Jesus in his mission statement, which wasn't just to come and die on the cross, but to install the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, it partially looks like Jesus's mission statement when he gets up in front of the synagogue and he starts to tell them Isaiah And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, to reach the poor, to reach the lame, to do these things. So Jesus said that was his mission statement and Jesus lived out that mission statement. Then, of course, it's good when you come across a church conference like this that's saying, how do we continue to do the work that Jesus did and in doing so install heaven here on earth? So this whole thing focused on Jesus, uh, a really great conference for me um, in that time. Now, the next year, I was invited back to Detroit for another justice conference. And this one was secular, which doesn't bother me because, you know, uh, there's plenty that we can learn from the world. I'm not saying that, like, Jesus is always going to align there, right? Of course not, because he's very different. His world is oftentimes upside down. But there's little things, of course, that you can still like take away, learn, pull from, and just uh, as you submit whatever you're learning from Jesus, he begins to show how it works with him. Uh, so I head there, and I'm even thinking like, man, people are kind of like working for Jesus, and they, they don't even know it because he cared about this kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't long before I found myself uncomfortable. I I sat down at a table with a bunch of Jackson Knights. Uh, they had all gotten a similar scholarship, and I didn't know they were going. I saw a bunch of people I recognized sat with them, and uh, um, within minutes, I was starting to feel just a little off. Uh, from from the stage, you know, there'd be these really big, bold statements because it's the launch night. You're gearing up for everything, but these were like big, bold statements. Like if you had. The majority of America in the room, like, half would have been super mad and the other half would have been super happy, right? But, like, everybody in the room was super on board with every statement made. And I'm like, okay, I actually don't even agree with some of this stuff. So I expected this, of course, but, like, I eventually had to, like, move away from my table and go sit against a wall because I didn't want everybody to notice, like, Jamer's not clapping anymore. What's going on? Because I was just feeling, like, super uncomfortable to... Uh, The speaker launching the event kind of spoke with a tone that just to me, it felt bitter. It felt kind of raging. It it wasn't like this hopeful, let's go with Jesus and and do what he did to bring social activism, social justice. It was like this anger, like we're going to show the world how it's supposed to be. Uh, And then uh, there was this moment where they revealed the art, which, you know, they had this, they pulled out this piece of art. And they're like, this is what we're going to focus on for the rest of the week. This will always be on the stage. And they reveal it. And it's the F word with the middle finger. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is what I have to stare at all week. All right, this is, this is not so Jesus-y about this. Uh, but it's basically just like a, a very different like feeling. Uh, and so, as I said, eventually I was feeling super uncomfortable. And uh, I went and sat kind of on the side and continued to watch this event unfold for the next few days. Uh, And at at one point, like a thought just hit me. It was this thought of, you know, I can tell based on what I've read in the Bible, based on how the Holy Spirit has guided me through this. I can tell that Jesus is not at the forefront of this movement. Whereas a lot of times in my mind before is like, you know, like if social justice is happening... Jesus must be breaking through somewhere. But as I'm sitting there, I'm just like, that that is not the feeling that I'm getting in this moment. Uh, But at the same time, I still felt like something was in charge of this. I mean, this moment was inherently spiritual. It was was kind of a religious gathering of sorts. Uh, They're up there preaching all these ideals. People were applauding the ideals in unison as though this was absolute truth. Uh, there was your art serving as icons on the stage to meditate upon the middle finger. <laughs> uh, and then there was a uh, uh, community celebration, food, music. It was this kind of big church gathering. But at the same time, like uh, this wasn't church. So I began to wonder, you know, if Jesus is not here. What is there something else here? Is this just like a human thing or is there something else? And I began to feel eventually just like this. This super uncomfortableness continue, uh, almost like I was in the presence of, like, uh, another god or something. Not just, like, a minor demon that, you will know, cast out of someone, but, like, I felt like I was in this, like, serious presence of something. Uh, the Bible, of course, talks about a hierarchy of spiritual beings, that there's different levels. Um, All those beings, everything spiritual, everything physical is made by God. Uh, But just as humans can rebel, physical beings can rebel, so can spiritual beings rebel. And something in the room, it just felt really strong, almost like you could kind of sense it. Uh, I began to use my imagination and just kind of like feel like there was this kind of like monster on the stage. Receiving worship and all this, something that was rising to power as people agreed to follow it something that was longing for destruction but at the same time preaching things that a lot of people would want to flock to want to run to things that that even sounded good i mean it was the words of social justice it was the words of justice and activism but twisted in a sense uh the bible tells us satan likes to masquerade as an angel of light that's kind of what I was feeling in that moment. Uh, and the reason Satan does that <laughs> is because not everybody's just going to like chase a demon, right? If something was like, I am just creepy monster. You want to come follow me? Let's go. People are like, no, I'm good where I'm at, right? But if something can seduce you into thinking like, hey, follow me. I know the real way. I know uh, everything that's good for you. I know what you need to do to make a difference, how people will remember your name and all these kinds of things. When you masquerade yourself that way, that becomes something that looks very appetizing. Satan, when he walked up to Jesus, he was quoting Bible verses, right? Hey, Jesus, uh, here's some scriptures. I was thinking this might be one of the ways in which you could fulfill them, right? He's not just like creeping them out and saying all these creepy things. He's trying to process scripture with him. So they have to disguise themselves because people aren't just going to follow evil around typically. I think you see this kind of thing with uh, all the movement that happened in in Nazi Germany, which I know is the card someone always plays. Oh, Nazis. Oh, Hitler. All these things. But I think uh, it's just a good example of a spiritual movement going on in the background that people aren't always noticing. Uh, We look at the Nazis today, and we, we of course, are like, well, that was evil. That was wrong. That movement shouldn't have happened. It's very hot here. I mean, I'm wearing a sweater, but still. We look at the Nazis today, we're like, that's evil, that should have never happened, right? But you know who thought the Nazis were a good thing? The Nazis. They thought they were doing a good thing. They thought they were making a difference. They had, they had ideals that they wanted to install into the nation. And they were a people, an entire nation, blinded by a cause, And they thought that they could take out these truths and begin to install it, not just in their country, but to move it with violence to bring it into other parts of the world. But people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw beyond this. And Bonhoeffer says something very interesting. He says, uh, the great masquerade of evil has played havoc with all our ethical concepts. For evil to appear disguised as light, charity, historical necessity, or social justice is quite bewildering to anyone brought up on our traditional ethical concepts. Well, for the Christian who bases his life on the Bible, it merely confirms the fundamental wickedness of evil. So here is Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor as Hitler rose to power, and he began to um, go up against Hitler and eventually got killed because of that. Here's Bonhoeffer saying, like, this has come in the name of, like, good things it's saying that these ideals are good and that social justice will come from all these things but but he's pulling out the bible and he's like this shouldn't shock us as christians to look at something that claims to be good and be like actually there's a great evil behind this and not all christians had their eyes open in nazi germany actually many christians became nazis hitler began to turn the church into a a cult Bibles were replaced with his book Mein Kampf. They took swords and and put them in the area. They took down crosses. Anything that represented weakness was done away with. There was no more baptism of any sorts. Uh, So much was taken out. And people just went with the flow of this. Some Christians were uh, able to see it, which, (laughs) I'm sorry, every Christian should have been able to see what was happening. But that's how strong this blindness can be sometimes. And we wonder, how is that possible? How does an entire nation commit that kind of atrocity and not even notice it? How is everyone in unison with it? I know it sounds like the Wonder Woman movie, (laughs) but I am proposing to you that there sometimes are these spiritual entities behind huge movements. And again, the Bible actually talks about spiritual entities being appointed to different nations. So you see this allotment in the Bible that hey, this guy over here, I'm granting you authority over this place. And maybe people not being aware of that, but following it blindly without noticing. D.H. Lawrence uh, said something interesting. He wasn't a Christian or anything, but uh, as he was talking about Germany coming ten years before Hitler really rose to power, or became a dictator, he said this he said, "It is as if life has retreated eastwards, as if the Germanic life were slowly ebbing away from contact with Western Europe, ebbing to the deserts of the east, returning again the fascin- returning again to the f- Sorry. return again to the fascination of the destructive East that produced Italia." At night, you feel strange things stirring in the darkness, strange things stirring out of the still unconquered black forest. You stiffen your backbone and you listen to the night. There's a sense of danger. It's not the people. They don't seem dangerous. Out of the very air comes a sense of danger, a queer, bristling feeling of uncanny danger. Something has happened. Something has happened which has not yet eventuated. The old spell of the old world has broken. And the old, bristling, savage spirit has set in. Something has happened to the human soul beyond all help. It is a fate. Nobody now can alter it. At the same time, we have brought it about ourselves by a Ruhr occupation, by an English nullity, and a German false will. We have done it ourselves, but apparently it was not to be helped. That was 10 years before Nazi Germany took off. And, you know, I don't know if that's like he just had this moment of like spiritual discernment or what. But is this just a poem or is he catching on to something else? I think when you look at the facts in which the way Nazi Germany took off, I think it's pretty easy to say there there actually is some real evil lurking behind this that helped all this fall into place. Now, all that being said, Jamin sounds a little crazy today just talking about ethereal things that nobody can prove. Jamin, did you really feel like... Or was there really some kind of spiritual entity while you're in Detroit? I'll never be able to prove that, right? I don't know if I had a moment of the gift of this uh, discernment of spirits. That is a gift listed in the Bible. Or I don't know if I was just using my imagination a little strongly or anything like that. All I know is that, you know, this this kind of image started to capture me. And I think in time the fruit will tell. If this is of God, if this is of humanity, or if it's of something else. And I think when you look at the fruit already, you kind of see where social justice without Jesus leads. Uh, In 2017, a Republican commentator went to speak at Berkeley. This was like 10 days after Trump became president. Berkeley was not happy. 150 protesters showed up. They knocked down a light generator. They shot commercial fireworks into buildings and at police officers. They smashed ATMs, they set things on fire, they broke windows, they hurled Molotov cocktails, the property damage was over $100,000. People were hit with fists, with pipes, with sticks, poles, and pepper sprayed. A married couple was pinned against a wall and beaten with a flagpole until they bled, and then maced after And the people doing the attacking here, in my mind, when I look at kind of what they were fighting about, it seems like a lot of social justice movement. (laughs) That's not Jesus, though. That's not something God would inspire to happen. One guy went up to a guy holding a sign about First Amendment rights, and he punched him in the face till he bled. I mean, what ridiculousness is this? Violence is wrong, right? It just doesn't really add up. It's like killing to say that killing is wrong. Later in 2017, uh, there was a speaker who went to speak at Middlebury College in Vermont. And since one campus kind of had some success with the uproar, this campus had it too. Uh, When students began to learn more about the guy who was coming to speak, uh, they began to protest. So much so uh, that they had to take the guy in the other room and video feed an interview with them. This professor was interviewing them. They had to video feed this interview between the two into the room so they could all see it. They figured out where that room was. They're knocking on the door. They're pulling fire alarms so that no one can hear what anyone's saying. And then finally, um, when, when this professor of this campus and this uh, guy come out of the room, they begin to run after them. And they, they push them. They pulled the professor's hair so hard she got a concussion and suffered whiplash and had to go get six months of physical therapy. And as they got in the car to try to escape, they jumped on the hood. They rocked it back and forth until finally some safety officials were able to calm things down. But then they figured out where these people were headed for dinner and they chased them off there so that they had to move locations for that, too. Like this, again, it kind of in the name of of social justice. What they heard didn't sound like it belonged. And so they started to try to chase it out very viciously. See, it's for reasons like this, that I just wish, I wish we still had Martin Luther King today. Yeah. Martin Luther King Jr., I mean, the things that he said were controversial then. But if if we would hear it today, it would be just as controversial to us again. He was someone who, who understood injustice, but didn't stoop to the level of Satan to try to fix it. He was someone who didn't join Satan in stealing, killing, and destroying. He was someone who went with the way that Jesus would do it, with love, and be willing to die if that's what it came to. You know, his words back then still strike a chord today. He said, while abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist." This is the only way to create the beloved community. To our most bitter opponents, we say we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. See, Martin Luther King knew how to fight with the love of Jesus. And nobody does that anymore. And unfortunately, even Christians aren't doing this anymore. Christians seem like they're out to get other Christians lately. We publish articles about their sin. We, we judge them and rip them apart despite how bad our own sin is. We slander them and act as though that's like a justice thing to do. And then we share the articles like gossip and pretend like this is a moral thing to do. A Christian celebrity was called out in the last few weeks. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, But unlike some of the other Christian celebrities that have been called out, first off, he owned up to it within like 24 hours. He mentioned that he had been getting professional help for years now. That his friends knew about it, that his family knew about it, and that he was working on this. And yet, despite the fact that he was recognizing I'm not a perfect person, everything that you saw in return to it was stereotyping him, labeling him, slandering him, shaming him, and again, shared like gossip. Now, look, if you read the article, of course you know what he was doing was wrong. Sure, there can be repercussions and... Uh, restoration, but he was well aware of the situation and that he needed help. There's no need to jab someone when they're quite aware they need help. Jesus didn't walk up to the woman on the ground, pick up the rock, and smash her with it because, in fact, she had sinned. He pulled her up, said sin no more, and saved her life that day. This kind of like destroying people's lives kind of justice is not social justice. This is something else. Because social justice with Jesus is loving and it's forgiving. Have you not heard that song enough, Pat, that you would make it your ringtone? (laughs) Social justice with Jesus is love and forgiveness. That doesn't mean, by the way, that in the middle of a heated argument, you're like, look, I just love you, okay? No, you don't. Shut up. <laughs> Nobody in the middle of a heated argument who says I love you actually loves the other person. That's just like a way of like, getting the upper hand. Like, I love you. You can keep yelling if you want, but I'm better than you, right? <laughs> Loving your oppressor, if you truly love them, is not saying it in the middle of a fight. If you truly love them, it means you're praying for them. It means you've pushed yourself so far that you're asking God to bless them, even though they don't deserve it. Maybe even you yourself are trying to bless them. It means trying to look at life through their eyes, whether they're right or not. It means not judging them because you know you'll be judged if you do. It means getting to the point that you desire to see that person in heaven. To hope for them the greatest thing that could ever happen to them. That's redemptive social justice Jesus love. And the forgiveness that Jesus shows us too. That means that you're releasing them from debt. A lot of people think like forgiveness is I, it's okay. No, it's not. What they did was wrong. Forgiveness means you release them of a debt. If they owe you a debt, then it was wrong. Forgiveness is you saying, you need to pay up, but I've decided you owe me nothing instead. Forgiveness is saying, I want to take vengeance on you, but I'm not going to. And if there ever is any vengeance paid in this situation, that's going to be God's to decide, not mine. It means that if you're forgiving, you might still find justice for that situation right now on earth. you're not going to find that justice with your hatred. You're going to find it by loving them. Recently, a man forgave uh, someone who who killed his, his brother. And this went viral across the internet, but what also went viral across the internet was posts about uh, that were downplaying his forgiveness that were treating it like maybe it was even a bad thing that he was forgiving. The same thing happened after the Amish forgave the shooter that came in and shot all their kids. People were saying, well, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. They probably shouldn't have done that. But look, when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for murdering me. He didn't say, well, if uh, and uh, but. There was none of that. There was no like, well, Father, how do you think they're going to process this in a psychological kind of way? Huh? Let's talk about that before I just say that. How do you think this is going to work out sociologically? No, nothing like that. Jesus just hanging on a cross, blanket statement, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if that's the way that Jesus asks, if that's what social justice looks like for him, hoping for the best for you and for me, when we don't deserve it, because we have the gun in our hands, then we have to try to copy that. We have to be people of radical forgiveness and real, radical, reckless, ultimate forgiveness is gonna make you cry, it's gonna make you cringe, it's gonna make you do both, but your response needs to be like Jesus to say that this is right and I need to do this as quickly as I can for I give Satan a foothold in my life, become bitter and angry and this turns me into a different person. This kind of Jesus social justice is not the way that the world looks over the last few years, it's not the way the church looks either. Like, I'm, I'm really glad that the church has jumped on the social justice bandwagon. Uh, I've waited for that. I'm happy for that. I'd say I'm maybe even a product of, of that movement. But along the way of jumping on the social justice bandwagon, a lot of us have just turned into Pharisees. We hold everyone to a level of perfection. If you don't meet that level of perfection, we'll publicly humiliate you. We'll stone you in front of everyone. And ironically, we, we do it all in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus is still there in front of the woman trying to save her, but we claim to be Jesus now with the rock still in our hands. Here's the thing. The crowd is not always right. Actually, Joel was saying something the other day, uh, disproving a point. And he said something about if the crowd's always no, the minor Forget it. it I don't remember. <laughs> and it, it may not be the right point to make. Um, but the crowd isn't always right. It wasn't right against that woman. It wasn't right against Jesus. And it's not always right today for us. Brian Zahn talks about how there's the great crowd of the world and then there's uh, the little flock of Jesus. He says, Jesus's little flock is not like the crowd. They have no need for a scapegoat. They know Jesus has already taken all the blame. The little flock knows that this world is not a closed system. It's a world open to the infinite grace of God. The little flock is not afraid because it's formed around the perfect love that drives out all fear. They know that the majority is almost always wrong, but they love them anyway. And they seek to draw the crowd out of their fear and into the liberated world sustained by the love of God. Christ is against the crowd because of the crowd's deep inhumanity and dark allegiance with the Satan. But Christ calls to each soul lost in the crowd, seeking to gather all of us to his little flock. A flock redeemed from the demonic crowd, learning to live beyond fear and without a scapegoat. The flock liberated from fear, living together peaceably, never building unity on a sacrificial them. This is a universal flock of the Prince of Peace, that the world might become the little flock of Christ. Is the peacemaker's hopeful dream. So if you're in the little flock, you got to find yourself disagreeing with the world once in a while. I'm trying to think. Okay, so shouldn't be a surprise to anyone here that have never really been a big fan of Trump. <laughs> uh, I remember after he was elected. Hear me out. Hear me out. I remember after he was elected. Um, a late night host was like, we've got our eye on you. And I was like, good, yeah, we'll we'll keep tabs, you know, we're not just going to let you get away with whatever. And the media has certainly held up their end of that promise. (laughs) So much so that some of the articles that get written from time to time are ridiculous. And if you are being a part of the little flock, you're going to find yourself, even in a spot where you might be angry, angry. Time to time, you're going to be like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? This is getting kind of out of control here. Like, I remember, I think it was pushed to my phone. Suddenly, it pops up on my phone, and it's like, did you know Trump's wife wore heels to a hurricane? And I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? Like, like why? Now it's my own wife you know, turned against me. Oh, <laughs> Kathy, sorry. Um... Oh, yeah. Paragon calling. Ben calling Kathy's phone. Everyone's against me tonight. Uh, In this moment, though, I'm like, hang on. How is this an article? Like, how is this a legitimate critique of a person? In that moment, I'm like, "Okay, Jamin, you could choose to be petty and go with every single thing that comes your way. Or you could recognize that even in a spot where, you know, like you're not super interested in someone you can be like okay that's pushing it too far and that's especially something we do with politics everyone's either like pro something or anti something where in this moment you can be like all right i need to be more conscientious of the things that are coming my way because when we're this petty that we're talking about heels and pushing it to people's phones We have to be able to stop and say, regardless of where I land on this issue, this is petty and kind of slanderous. And I need to stop. (laughs) That's what it means to be a part of the little crowd. For some, that would be fuel. For others, that would be, eh, what? (laughs) Today, I just invite us to put our eyes on Jesus. I sense that there are spiritual things lurking in the background of what's going on in America these days. And I think we're in the midst of some major spiritual schemes. Jesus says that like, uh, Jesus says that Satan and his kingdom, none of them are turned against each other. Why? Well, if they were turned against each other, the whole thing would fall apart because a kingdom that's divided cannot stand. So that means that the enemy knows that if you can divide a kingdom, It falls apart. And what's happening to us these days? We're completely divided. Whether it be politics, whether it be country, whether it be church. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's vicious. Everybody's against each other. And we claim all these things in the name of Jesus. And Satan knows that that cannot last. Eventually, it implodes. It self-destructs. It doesn't make it. I think we have maybe one action left in this time. We can recognize that we're being duped and we can start to love and forgive people again like Jesus calls us to and start to make some ripple effects. We can start viewing people as human again even if we disagree with them, even if we'll always disagree with them. We can stop judging and slandering each other. And we can do all of this while still pursuing justice. Or we can let these masquerading angels of lights, we can let Satan and his kingdom continue to dupe us into ripping each other apart until there is nothing standing. And we are already in the middle of that. And if that's truly the case, as I often feel like I'm discerning whether that's true or not, the only thing that can start to reverse that process is the church. So we have a job to do right now. Sometimes it feels like D.H. Lawrence, like it's already set in. It it can't be helped. (coughs) But at the same time, Jesus has a way of doing miracles. And that can at least start in Jackson with us. I choose to follow Jesus in this moment. I aim to discern the tactics of the enemy, and I hope you'll do the same. The band can come up. We're going to worship for a little bit. And just, uh, you know, again, the Bible says that God is enthroned on our praises. So if we want to see him take reign here in Jackson, let's give him a throne to sit on in the first place. Next week, we'll continue this series on social justice and uh you know, now that we know that the world has an idea of social justice, we have an idea of social justice. There's some complicated questions as to how do we interact when the world's on a different page? What do we do? How does it work to try to install a little bit of heaven on the earth? Next week, I hope to give us some ideas as to how Jesus did that, and how we need to continue doing that today. All right. Uh, you can take on whatever posture you like as we worship, but could you start by standing with us? Mm-hmm. And there will be a, if we have a prayer team available, I know we're a little short today, they'll be in the back corner willing to pray for anything.